Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Cow Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. Hope you're having a good holiday season. And the season's almost over, folks. And don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about the whole quarterback change. And then what does this mean for Sam Howell? What does it mean for the commanders going forward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So also stick, stick around for my conversation with ESPN's Nick Wagner, who covers the San Francisco 49ers. I wanted to bring him on not to talk about this game because the game is irrelevant for the commanders, except with a loss where it keeps them in the draft standing. I know I got you. But what, what I wanted to bring Nick on to talk about was a couple couple people that he's familiar with that could factor into the commander's future, starting with the Niners assistant general manager, Adam Peters. Just a little bit, of, just kind of introducing what Peters could do or what makes him a good uh, assistant general manager and how he could help the commanders. Bobby Sloak, who is the Houston Texans offensive coordinator, but he was a passing game coordinator with San Francisco last season and was a defensive quality control coach with the 49ers as well. So he's had a couple different roles with them. And he was here, of course, in Washington as a defensive assistant, a low-level defensive assistant when Mike Shanahan was here. So Nick is very familiar with Slowick. He's very familiar with Adam Peters. Those are two guys with whose names could be important here in the future. Plus, we also talk a little bit about Chase Young, what he's done for the Niners, and, and why, you know, maybe he feels really good being out in San Francisco as opposed to Washington. Anyway, that, that said, today is about, so stick around for that, but today is about the quarterback change going from Sam Howell to Jacoby Brissett. What does it mean, et cetera? I'm going to spend a few minutes on this only because we've talked a lot about this. And Bram and I talked about this on the live stream show about why they would might make a move. And at that time, certainly on Tuesday night, we anticipated this kind of a move because once you introduce this, once you say you're not sure, you're probably going to go in the other direction. And I also know that this was something that they flirted with maybe just briefly a week ago after the Rams game, but they wanted to see how Hall responded. I'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, let's start with this. For, for starters, it's the right move. Sam Hall has not been playing well. You can blame whatever you want on why he's struggling, whether it's the offensive line, you know, this thing, that thing, the other. Hall is not playing well himself. And he's even said, he even said that. He's acknowledged that. So this makes this the right move. From a football standpoint, it is absolutely the right move. Um, his play has stagnated, and it's been several weeks since he's played well. He had a great stretch in the middle of the season. Schedule gets a little bit harder. Um, you got more tape on the guy makes it tougher for him. And I think he's starting to press a little bit. That's one thing the coaches have talked about and he's getting himself into trouble, kind of relying on some of those off schedule plays. There have been two plays the last couple of weeks that kind of highlight this issue. 
where you're looking for that big play against the Rams, escape the pocket to the right. We all remember this one. You got Antonio Gibson sitting there for seven yards and you bypass him. He's wide open, trying to throw back to the middle for Terry McLaurin, a much more, much more difficult play. Maybe you get a few more yards, but it's just way more difficult. Bounces off the hands into the Rams interception. There you go. On Sunday against the Jets, he did throw the interception, but I'm going to put that one on. Curtis Samuel fell out of his break. He's in the house throwing the ball a little bit too late to do anything about it. But there was another play that was a little bit more troubling to me, did not result in an interception, but it was one where he escapes back and then to his left, and he's trying to square him up, square himself up to throw down the field to a slightly covered receiver. It's a very dangerous play. And a New York Jet pass rusher hits his arm, so the ball kind of flutters up. And it could have been a disaster. I think one of the Washington Commanders offensive linemen knocked it down to the ground, I think, out of someone's hands. If that ball had, if the defender had not hit Howell's arm, that's a jump ball at about the 30 yard line. It's a, it's just a not, just not a good football play, but it's a play that's indicative maybe of what the coaches have said is a guy who's pressing and trying to make that big play because your, your things aren't going well. And, Again, I go back to that New England game and J.T. O'Sullivan, whom I respect, runs a quarterback school on YouTube. You can check that out. But he, when he was analyzing that game, while we kind of looked at it and said, hey, these are tremendous plays by Howell and they're off schedule. You want to be on schedule, of course. But they were a bad sign for, for J.T. O'Sullivan because he wanted to see him operate more in rhythm. And it seems like since that game, there's at times been a you know maybe a little bit of an overall reliance on trying to make some of those off-schedule plays, and it just gets you in trouble over the course of the long haul. Not for everybody. And I think it's not the – I mean, he still made some good plays in those in off-schedule since that game, but he hasn't made enough on schedule. And I wonder if it's because he maybe he's trying to, you know, kind of looking for some of those plays. And when you compare him to, like, Jacoby Brissett, for example, is going to take those profits – and he's going to make something out of that and just, okay, you, you, you know, you're going to give me five yards, boom, I'm going to take it. Let's go. And I think that makes a difference. And that's something that Howell will have to get, get used to if he wants to become a quality starter in the NFL, which I still think he can become. And I think coaches here still believe he can become that, whether they're coaching him or not. And I think they're, listen, I talked to people throughout the season who felt he could be you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Jordan Reed, the ESPN NFL draft analyst. I've talked to other former coaches who all kind of gave the same name, which is Andy Dalton, that level of a player. But it's going to take more work to get him there. And this is part of it. But that's why this is the right move, though, because, you know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been working. And again, I point out some, I think you need to throw with more trust, more anticipation, all those things. <clears throat> so that's that's why this makes it the right football move. Whether and it's funny because you see people are going to criticize it because it's this staff making the decision. I have a feeling that whatever decision this staff makes, a lot of people are going to think it's the wrong one because they haven't won. I get it. Anyways, another thing to keep in mind here is that why Brissett now with only two games left? Well, the fans and the players have different motivations right now. You guys want that high draft pick. They want to win another game. You know, I'm not here to say who's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that your motivations are different. So Brissett gives them that ability to to get to have a better chance for success against the 49ers, against the Cowboys. And you know, it also prevents Howell from being out there maybe having worse games and finishing even worse. But 
that I think the big thing for a veteran, you know, Terry McLaurin talked about it, that he feels that he gives him a chance to be successful. And a part of the reason he talked about it is that he talked about the pre-snap reads with he knows where to go with the ball. I think there's a little bit more of that decisiveness, you know, and also I think one of the things that McLaurin said, and this was highlighted in the second play of the, I think it was a sec, his second, first or second pass in the game the other day, it was a third and four where, you know, McLaurin said, you know, pre-snap, he knows where to go post-snap. If he sees something different, he knows where then to go off of that. And there was a play the other day, this somewhat like this, um, where he Jacoby takes snaps third and four. You have Logan Thomas running like a five yard curl over on the left and he starts to throw it. But then the linebacker and, and another defensive back start to pinch and it's going to be a really tough throw. Well, he automatically turns his feet, turns his eye, turns his eyes and his feet to the other side and throws it to uh, Jahan Dotson. We made that kind of low, a uh, catch low at his feet, but it was a good job by Brissett of, one, okay, it's not going to be there, so move off it, but move your feet, move your eyes, get it to the right guy, get it to your next guy, and it was just a good decision. So it's plays like that that they see that leads them to believe that he can help them now. Again, I get your motivation because we're talking the seventh pick and the sixth pick, okay, but we're looking at a third pick for you guys that could mean a chance at a quarterback, I get it. But for the players, they still want to win. <clears throat> And Ron Rivera said, this is not an indictment of Sam. Um, benching is certainly not a show of confidence because you're benching him for a reason. You're benching him because he's not playing well. And now what this does is it opens up more. Well, the play of the last four or five games, the last several weeks has opened up questions about his future. And then this move certainly is going to add to it more. But the bottom line is, even if he had played pretty well the last couple of weeks, a new staff is going to come in and, and evaluate, make their own decision regardless if he plays these last two games or not, it's irrelevant to them because there's enough on tape. There's 16 games of Sam Hall on film for another coaching staff to evaluate. And then when you're, you're comparing that to, to possibly Caleb Williams or Drake may with that third pick, well, you know, that's, that was going to be an evaluation, whether if Hall had played a decent game in New York and a decent game against the Rams, I still think you're going to come in the off season and, you know, have that choice. The only way he could have made it a no brainer is by having and you know, just playing lights out and getting clearly getting better and playing well against these good teams. And that hasn't been the case. So it just leads to more, a lot more questions and decisions that this staff, the new staff will have to make, but is it, you know, I do think that they still believe that Howell can be good. And so that's why they, that's why Rivera said it's not an indictment, but again, it's certainly not a show of confidence in him because you're benching him because for one reason, he's not playing well. And, and so, you know, there you go. <clears throat> and, it, it, you know, I'll make it clear too. It's again, it's not all on Howell. I mean, listen, in the Jets game, there were a couple plays that were passes that were dropped. There were plays that were the receiver slips on the route. If you give him all that, he's still probably completing about 50% of his pass in that game. So it wasn't, it just wasn't a good game. Um, is he done? No. He's a young quarterback. <clears throat> young quarterbacks go through this. The question is, what level can he get to? You know, he could he become a quality star in the NFL? Yes. If you if you think, you know, if you think he's done, more power to you. But there are a lot of people smarter than I who don't think he is done. And who, but again, it's the level he can get to. And that's why when you look at the draft. It's not about, well, could they build around Howell versus taking another guy we're starting all over? Well, if you think the other guy has a much higher ceiling, that's who you're going to go with because that's also becomes then your guy. So a new staff 
this is the new staff is going, they don't want to inherit a guy and then just run with him because, you know, well, he had some pretty good games. They're going to run with him because he had a no brainer games, but also because the alternatives aren't better. But if you have a shot at one of these top quarterbacks in the draft, I think they're going to probably look at that and say, that's the better alternative because it would make sense. It'd be their guy. And also then his, the contract with the rookie contract situation is starting over. You're now going to five years with under control for a rookie versus the next two for how. Then for how it's how do you respond? And one thing I know about how is he responds very well to adversity. This is this last stretch here has been a tough one for him. How does he respond? This is a kid that's a very tough-minded kid, very good worker, still has a good arm, still has a lot of positive attributes. And so I think that he, you know, how does he, you know, you're going to get another shot, whether it's here or somewhere else. And I think he can do all right. I mean, I, you know, I still think that again, the level of play is just a different thing that we're not sure yet where he could get to. But I know that, you know, that he's got attributes that will allow him to get better because a lot of quarterbacks have gone through tough struggles and come out and at a, as a better passer. Kirk Cousins was benched a few, or it was, you know, had, had his own issues and not just to throw his name up. That's one year that I'm obviously familiar with, as are you. So, there are ways that he can get better. And, and, and I also think it needs to have a, whoever gets him, whoever, well, I'm, I'm going to back up for a minute. So let me, what I was going to say is you need to have a good plan for how, but that's one thing that I'm a little bit disappointed in with this, with how they handled him this year is I'm not sure that the plan was all that great. You know, you have, you have a quarterback who's a little bit shorter. You need to have a stout interior. They did not build one that was good enough. And I think when you're put, getting guys pushed back into his lap, it makes it difficult for a six foot one inch quarterback to see over the top and stay to maintain your reads and to see everything. You see Jacoby Brissett, six foot four, handles it better. And I don't think that's the only thing, but I felt like it was something they didn't do a good enough job of building this offseason. And then, and you can look at the tackles, but I'm looking at the interior when you have a shorter guy. Um, then, then it's then you come in and you say, okay, you're going to throw the ball a ton. Only one, I think only Patrick Mahomes has thrown the ball more than than Sam Howell. You're putting a lot on a young kid, an awful lot. And as one person here told me that they, you know, they have people saying that they hope the enemy realizes that he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes anymore. And you, so, but you put a lot on him. You had no, you, the run game was not developed. They have, I think, only two teams have had fewer run attempts, rush attempts this year. Some of that could be because of the score of the games, but it's certainly not all. And, you know, it's, it was an emphasis to not go this way. And I don't think it, I'm not sure that it helped how. So there was a lot of things where, and going into the season, I talked to one person in the organization who was like, they knew that the offensive line wasn't that great. And yet they dropped back and they were asking to throw a ton. And it just like, he needed a little bit more protection. This line needed a more veteran quarterback. And you see why Jacoby Brissett hasn't been sacked in his, in his six, I think it's six series. Um, he hasn't been sacked yet. And I think Howell's done a better job of avoiding sacks in the last few, in the last few weeks. I mean, shoot, he's had, he's been sacked 60 times, but it's only 20 sacks in the last eight games. So he's done better there. And I think some of that is looking to get out of the pocket a little bit quicker instead of hanging in there. I think Brissett has done a better, little bit better job of just hanging in the pocket just a little bit longer. Brissett went through this stuff when he was younger. He was sacked 52 times one year, and I think it was his first year, full year as a starter. That's a ton. You learn how to then protect yourself and handle that situation. I think that's what he's done. Um, last thing is, 
Ron Rivera, I think, as you probably know, is the ultimate optimist. And I think sometimes that can get him into trouble. And I think in this case, you know, you in hindsight, did that get him in trouble? I mean, he believed in how he believed in him before the draft because, you, you know, I've talked to enough people to know that this is someone he liked before the draft. And I knew that before the draft. And, you know, so it wasn't blowing smoke after the fact. I knew they liked him. And but was he ready to just go kind of really that unchallenged for the starting job? I mean, this is hindsight because he did start off okay and he did have a good, really good stretch and there were some natural growing pains. It's just that he's plateaued over the last several weeks and it's just, it became a situation where he kind of had no choice but to make this move. Um, so, you know, there you go. That's it. That's all I got. Stay tuned for my conversation with ESPN's Nick Wagner as we talk about 49ers assistant GM Adam Peters potential head coaching candidate Bobby Slowick and former commander's defensive end Chase Young. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Nick. Adam Peters. This is a guy that's going to be on Washington's radar. All right, let me say this. Anybody's right. I don't know if he's on Washington's radar or not because we don't right. know who they're looking at. However, he's a big name to watch this offseason for teams who want a general manager. This team will likely need a general manager. What can you tell us about Adam Peters? Yeah, Adam Adam Peters has been on a lot of people's radars for a few years now. And uh, let me just kind of give you the the Adam Peters, San Francisco origin story, for lack of a better term. Go, going back to 2017, the Niners hired Kyle Shanahan. They hired John Lynch, first-time general manager, first-time personnel guy. He'd been doing some consulting and things like that with the Broncos, but had never had a full-time position. He was in, in the TV broadcast booth. So the Niners go out looking for – kind of a seasoned but up-and-coming personnel man. That was what they wanted to compliment John Lynch. And I don't want to say, like, show him the ropes, but certainly someone that he could lean on. You know, actually, you're, the current general manager in Washington also played a role in that. He was more of the veteran voice in the room in Martin Mayhew. But Adam Peters was the guy that was viewed as, like, this is going to be a fast riser to the point that, that a lot of people in the league were surprised uh, when I was asking around after the Niners hired Adam Peters that the Broncos even let him go. But it was a promotion. Adam Peters is also from nearby Cupertino. Uh, so he's got some ties here. It was an easy, kind of an easy thing for him to come here. And in the time since, he has really grown and become the guy that a lot of people thought he could be. And uh, just to kind of give you some insight into what the Niners' process is when they go into some of these drafts, I, I think Kyle Shanahan does as much tape grinding as he can in terms of looking at players and all that, giving his opinion. But he also is very detailed on what he wants, right? So he's got it to the point where he's giving to Peters and Lynch, these are the types of players I want. These are the traits that we're looking for, those kinds of things. Uh, and then they go out and kind of find those guys and bring them to them. And I think what you've seen a lot of, the Niners have built this team largely through the draft. I know you see the flashy trades, Washington fans. They can attest to, to at least two of them, Trent Williams, Chase Young. Uh, Carolina fans could do the same with Christian McCaffrey. But the foundation of the 49ers has been built through the draft, and that's Eric Armstead, uh, uh, you know, it, and it's also late-round guys. It's not just Armstead and Bosa who are first-round picks. It's 
Fred Warner in the third, George Kittle in the fifth, Brock Purdy in the seventh, Kalanoa Hufanga in the fifth. You, you know, Debo Samuel was the second round pick, late second round pick. So um, there's all of these types of things that I think are uh, a part of what Adam Peters brings to the table. And they really trusted him to be that guy to kind of find some of these diamonds in the rough and not just turn them into starters, but turn them into stars. Like these guys, these guys are guys who maybe come in here and need a little bit of work, but he's identifying the talent. And then Kyle Shanahan and his staff are of course, continuing to elevate those guys. And um, I think that's a big part of why Adam Peters has risen up through the ranks. It's why a lot of teams are interested in him. I don't think, that Adam Peters is just going to leave for any old general manager job. I think there's been some opportunities, some jobs where he was really close in the running and maybe he could have pushed a little harder and gotten those jobs. Um, but I do think he's in a really good spot here. John Lynch just got a, a new contract extension and got another job title to go with that. Uh, but I think there's still going that possibility that eventually Adam Peters could be promoted to general manager here while Lynch ascends to some other job if the 49ers win a Super Bowl, John Lynch could even leave at, at some point, like and go back to TV. I think he feels the responsibility to get the job done and win a Lombardi before he does that. Nonetheless, there is a succession plan that seems kind of obvious. If Adam Peters is still here again, don't want to imply that he wouldn't leave for another job. I think it just has to be the absolute right situation. What do you think he's learned there watching the shit? Cause again, Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, no experience as a head coach coming in. John Lynch, no experience as a GM. What do you think he's learned about their dynamics and how will that maybe shape his future thoughts? I think it's the number one thing, and I think it's the thing the 49ers needed the most. You and I have covered enough bad football to know that the quickest ticket to bad football is a GM and a coach who are not on the same page. Um, it hurts more if they're not good at their jobs, of course. Uh, but but they have to be good and, and on the same page. And I, I think what you have is a, with – observing Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the way they work together is the ideal scenario because you don't have to agree to be able to be on the same page. And and that is kind of the, the line that they've been able to walk those two guys where there's a push and pull. John Lynch is optimistic all the time. Kyle calls him captain America because he's so positive and upbeat. Kyle, maybe not so much. Kyle likes to call himself a realist. Uh, some might say a pessimist, but it works. The Christian McCaffrey trade was a great example. John Lynch, came to Kyle with the idea. Kyle immediately said, there's no chance. We can't make it work. We can't afford it. We don't have the draft picks, all those types of things. John said, give me some time. Let's make it work. Came back to Kyle, said, hey, here's what we can do. We don't have to give up a one. Good, because we don't have any. <laughs> and and see where it goes. And and they, of course, made the trade work. And I think Adam, I don't want to say he's the, the man in the middle of that because that's overstating it, but I think he's been able to observe the dynamic of how that works and how he would want it, that interplay to work if he were to ever have that job. And so, again, I, I'm not going to sit here and say Adam Peters wants to have full say on whoever his head coach would be. I do think he would want to be in a situation where he has a relationship with the person either previously or one that could be developed before any sort of decision was to be made uh, if he were to leave. One guy he may have a relationship with, Bobby Slowick, who's now in Houston, who will be one of the names you're going to hear in the offseason for coaching jobs. He was here as a defensive, low-level defensive assistant in Washington, DQC out in San Francisco, then passing game coordinator. What can you tell us about him? And obviously they have a dynamic, but what can you tell us about Bobby Slowick? Yeah, Bobby is a guy who's really smart, very mild-mannered, kind of a calming influence. That's what he he was when he was here. He's a passing game coordinator at the time that he left. And if you go back and look, even last year as a passing game coordinator, had success with Trey Lance uh, for a brief period of time before he got hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo had success. 
And then, of course, with Brock Purdy, uh, and those were all, you know, kind of feathers in his cap, along with, of course, Brian Greasy, the, the quarterback's coach. But I think that when you look at Bobby Slowick, this is a guy that a lot of people might look at and say, you yeah, know, he's real young, not super experienced yet, maybe not this cycle. This is where he kind of gets his name out there. But as you well know, John, like Sean McVay being yeah. the, the prime example of if you get a guy in a room, he could, first of all, he could talk you into anything. But second of all, if he's your guy, just hire him and let him learn on the job and let him figure it out. And so um, I'm not going to sit here and say there's no chance Bobby Sloak's going to get a job in this cycle because he may be one of those guys that he just is so buttoned up and has the presentation down that he can sell somebody and get a job. You look at the job he's done with C.J. Stroud, the job that he helped do with Brock Purdy, he's got a chance to be a really good coach in this league. And so whether that's this year or in the near future, I think there's there's certainly you're going to see Bobby Sloak's name pop up multiple times on the, on the coaching when, circuit. How important do you think the defensive stuff was for his development as an offensive coach? Yeah, I mean, I always go back to Kyle. If you ask anyone, ask Kyle what he says the most important thing was to be a great offensive coach, it was learning defense. I wrote a story about this a few years ago. Right. He spent time in Tampa with John Gruden. Every night he would sneak into the defensive meeting rooms led by Monty Kiffin, and you talk about an all-star cast of coaches in that room, whether it was Rod Marinelli on the defensive line, it was Herm Edwards, it was Mike Tomlin, it was Joe Barry, and all these guys who either went on to be head coaches or defensive coordinators or both. Um, and that's where Kyle Shanahan kind of kind of cut his teeth. It was, I can learn the rules of the defense, and then I can go and figure out how to break those rules. And I think that is what Kyle Shanahan wanted to wants to instill in a lot of his quality control coaches, which is a job that Bobby Sloak had here, and working on the defense and then flipping over to the other side and developing that understanding of how defenses work so then you can figure out how to attack offenses. So I think that's been a big part of why you've seen a lot of these guys who start out as quality control coaches, which, as we know, is the lowest level right. on the coaching chart. Uh, but that's why they quickly ascend into position coaches and then coordinator roles and eventually head coaches. And I think Bobby Sloak has followed that to a T as well. And also Bobby Sloak comes from a football family yes, as he well. Does. Uh, it may not come with the name value of the Shanahan's, but it is certainly runs deep football and there's right. a lot of football there. Yeah, There is. Last thing, and I only got about two less than two minutes, Chase Young. How's he doing, his role, his future? Yeah, Chase Young, it seems like he's very happier. He's saying this is as much fun as he's had playing football. Since he was a rookie, I think part of that is he's on a really good team. I think he feels like he fits in here. He's not being asked to be the guy. Like, they're using him in a way where he's playing a lot of third downs. He's not even starting. Cleveland Furl starts. They use him in situations where, you know, uh, it's more obvious passing downs to give him a chance to pass rush. I think it serves two purposes. One, it helps him save his legs from an injury standpoint. Two, I think it just gives him an opportunity to do what he does best which is rush the passer. He's made a big impact. Even if the numbers don't necessarily show it in terms of his sacks or whatever, uh, they really needed to get that position better than it was early in the season because it was a weak point. You would see quarterbacks get pressure from Bosa, Hargrave, Armstead, and then they would just get away from, from Chase Young. So it's going to be a really fascinating offseason for Chase Young. Can he get the money that people are expecting? Probably not. I, you know, I don't think he's got the numbers. I think the injury question is still going to kind of loom over him. But I do think that he's on a good path. And even if he has to take a one-year deal somewhere and, and, and kind of prove it again, especially that he can stay healthy, I think that's going to be a big key for him. Nick, appreciate the time and the insight. Always really good. I'll see you Sunday, man. Thanks. Thanks, John.
That's it for this episode. Thanks to Nick for joining me. And thank you as always for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday with my Friday five. So tune in for that. I'll talk to you next time.